Well, we're in the fourth and final week of our series through the book of Ruth. It's been a lot of fun. I want to bring you up to date. Some of you have not been here through the series, so let me just kind of go through the whole thing up to where, we're, where, where we are today. Chapter 1, that was about the trip to Bethlehem. Naomi was a widow living in the land of Moab, a heathen nation. One of her sons had married a Moabite woman named Ruth. When she passed away, the two widows, Naomi and Ruth, returned to Bethlehem, Naomi's hometown. Naomi tried to get Ruth to stay in Moab, but Ruth declared her loyalty to Naomi. She said, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. At this time in her life, Naomi was depressed and bitter. Once her life had been full with a husband and sons and a home, now her life was empty. She had lost everything. She said, the Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Well, they arrived in Bethlehem right at the beginning of the harvest time. And as we've seen, not only was it harvest time in the fields, it was harvest time for Ruth and Naomi. And that led to chapter 2 working that harvest. They were two desperately poor widows, but Ruth took the initiative to make their situation better. One day she told Naomi, her mother-in-law, I'll go to the fields and I'll walk behind the laborers and I'll glean what's left over and get something for us to eat. It just so happened that day, it just so happened, obviously God was in the plan, Ruth went to the field owned by a man named Boaz. Boaz, he was uh, the owner of the field, and uh, he was a righteous man. He was also a relative of Naomi's. When he saw Ruth working in the field, he asked his foreman, Hey, who's that chick? Hmm. That's exactly what he said. You have to translate it from the Hebrew, you know. Boaz made it a point to give Ruth special treatment. From the looks of things, Boaz had quite a crush on Ruth. Ruth worked Boaz's field until the harvest came in, and it was at that time that Naomi had an idea to secure their future. That led to chapter 3, the marriage proposal. Boaz was what they called a kinsman redeemer. He was one of the family kinsman redeemers. That's sort of a historical equivalent of a rich uncle. Each extended family had a few kinsmen redeemers, men of character, influence, affluence, who made themselves available to help family members in times of trouble. Now, I oversimplified that a little bit, but that's basically how it worked. Naomi's late husband owned some land in Bethlehem, but apparently he had mortgaged it during the famine 10 years earlier. So his family's moving back to Moab, and when Ruth and Naomi came back, that land was still there, but they didn't have any rights to it because there was a lien against it. This is where Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, fits in. He could redeem the property. To redeem means to buy back so that Naomi could live there and use the land to produce income. He would then be like a joint owner. More specifically, according to the customs of the day, Naomi would become the wife of Boaz. 
If they had no children, Naomi was probably past that age by now, Boaz and his sons would inherit the property when she passed away. What about Ruth, young Ruth? Could be said that Ruth had a claim in the property too. Her late husband, Naomi's son, would have inherited this land if he had lived. To complicate the custom just a bit, if a kinsman redeemer redeemed a property for a childless widow, he was expected to become the husband and provide a son. Okay, so that late husband would live on. It was in this context that Naomi came up with her plan. She knew that Boaz was a little infatuated with Ruth, so Naomi said this, Boaz will be at the threshing floor tonight, so put on your best dress, fix up your hair, spray on some perfume, look real good. After he's asleep, go to where he is and lay down at his feet. Now, this gesture was not suggestive. It was symbolic. By laying at his feet, Ruth would be telling Boaz that she was available for marriage. When Boaz woke up in the middle of the night and found Ruth laying at his feet, she said, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman redeemer. He knew exactly what she was saying. He knew that she was referring to Naomi's property. He knew her motive was not merely to get married, but she wanted to make sure she married a man who could look after her widowed mother-in-law. For this reason, Boaz admired Ruth all the more. He said, okay, I'm willing to be your kinsman redeemer, and I'm willing to marry you, but there's a catch. The catch was that the kinsman redeemer arrangement followed a process determined by the nearest of kin. There was another kinsman redeemer in the family more closely related than Boaz. So Boaz said to Ruth, one way or another, you're going to be taken care of. If he doesn't want to redeem the land and take you as his bride, I'll do it. Well, that takes us to the exciting conclusion, chapter 4. How will this story end? Will the kinsman redeemer buy back the land? Will Boaz... Mary Ruth. And what about Naomi? Well, let's hear the rest of the story. There's a revealing verse back in chapter 3. After Boaz told Ruth he would take care of the matter, he gave her some barley to take home with her. And the story says, then he went back to town. Now, this is interesting because Boaz going immediately back to town didn't make sense. The reason he's on the uh, threshing floor sleeping is because it was the harvest. They had to get the harvest in. They worked until they passed out, slept there, got up the next morning. But he takes a break. He stopped what he was doing to go look for the other kinsman redeemer. I think Boaz did this for a couple of reasons. He knew that Ruth and Naomi were counting on him, waiting on him. He didn't want to leave them hanging. The other reason is it's obvious that he had some kind of emotional investment in the outcome. So he was eager to get it resolved. It's further explained in the first verse of chapter 4. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to town, to the town gate and sat there. When the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here. And they did so. 
Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother or relative, Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I'll know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am the next in line. So he said, yeah, I'll redeem it. I have no doubt that Boaz knew exactly what he was doing. He discussed the redemption of this man in public. So in the presence of the town leadership, he had to make a decision. That way Ruth and Naomi wouldn't have to wait so long. At first, Boaz made it seem like kind of a simple transaction. Buy some land, help out a family member. So the man said, sure, why not? I'll do it. Then Boaz let the man know what he was really getting into. He said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabitess, made sure he got that in, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. Well, that changes everything. Instead of getting some good land for a good price, the man was told he would be taking on the responsibility of a new family and with a foreign woman, not very kosher. At this, the kinsman redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. Boaz wasted no time in concluding the transaction publicly right there. It it says that now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are my witnesses that I have, been, that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. Those are the two sons-in-law, the two sons. There, that's the widow as my wife, he said, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Now, that seems like a strange idea today that you can buy property and a wife comes along with it. <laughs> Some people criticize the Bible because of stories like this. They say it's so archaic, it's barbaric. You know, our modern way of thinking doesn't do that kind of stuff. But it shouldn't surprise us that a 3,000-year-old story has some 3,000-year-old customs. Back then, it wasn't barbaric at all. In fact, this law uh, reflects the proper concern for the poor. This law existed so that widows and their children would not be left homeless if the father or the husband passes away. Then the elders and all those at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel, the whole nation. May you have standing in in Ephrata and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, 
May your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Ruth, Boaz, married, started a family. They built a life together. Don't you just love happy endings? (laughs) That's not the end, though. Not the end of the message, for sure. The name of the book is called Ruth. But I really think this is Naomi's story. You remember where we began four weeks ago? We began with the death of Naomi's sons. Today, the story ends with the marriage of her daughter-in-law and the birth of a baby boy. In chapter 1, Naomi thought that her life was finished. In chapter 4, she sees that it's just beginning. In chapter 1, you find Naomi full of doubt and bitterness and self-pity. In chapter 4, you find her overflowing with joy. Cornerstone, this is the God we serve. That's how he works. He can take life that's totally empty, totally afflicted, barren, and fill it with joy and purpose and new birth. Sounds like a baby, doesn't it? Little sound effects for the message. I often talk to people who are living in a place like chapter one of this story, in a land like the land of Moab, far from the experience of God's blessings. Like Naomi, these people feel like their best days are behind. Once their lives were full, now they're forever empty. I'm probably talking to somebody right now. You've got to know that there's no life that is forever empty. As far as God is concerned, there is no life that's finished. He can redeem any life from any situation. Maybe you think of yourself as a person with a past, but God sees you as someone with a future. He's got a plan. As we bring this series to a close, there are three final lessons I want us to reflect on. Lessons that remind us that in God, we have a future. First of all, you're not without, after all. You're just not. After Ruth had her son, uh, the the women came together. And listen to what they said. Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. That phrase, he has not left you without a redeemer, without a kinsman redeemer. They're referring on one hand to Boaz, who generously saved the family's land and saved their name. But they're also referring to this baby boy, They're calling him a kinsman redeemer because this little boy represents the completion of God's redemption in Naomi's life. Maybe you think your life right now is all about without. You're without health, the health that you need. 
You're without the money you need. You're without the spouse you want. You're without the blessings you need. Everything in your life spells without. I want you to know that God will never leave you without forever. The emptiness of the land of Moab, Ruth chapter 1, will be replaced in your life by the fullness of Bethlehem in Ruth chapter 4. Naomi couldn't see the blessings coming, but they came because God was not going to leave her in a state of without. Here's the second lesson I want you to reflect on. What you think is a burden can turn out to be a blessing. The women said, for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. They were right. Ruth was better than seven sons. But Naomi didn't see it that way on the first page of this story. You remember what she said when when she tried to get her daughters-in-law to return back and stay in Moab? She said, return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. Wow, how defeated sounding. Naomi saw her daughters-in-law as a burden. She could only think of the financial obligation that she would face with them and how she wouldn't be able to provide for them. So she encouraged the young women to return home to find husbands there in Moab. As you remember, one daughter-in-law, Orpah, did go back to Moab, but Ruth decided to stay. And what happened? Ruth certainly was not a burden to Naomi. She became a blessing It reminds me of the house we own and still own in Georgia. We moved up here a couple years ago, almost a couple of years. What a burden. What a weight that house has been. And all of a sudden, God kind of works things out, works out our finances a little bit better, and uh, has that house rented, and now somebody's paying the mortgage. We still have that investment and we're not burdened with that. What used to be such a burden now seems somewhat of a blessing. I think we'd still like to get rid of it, but it's still a blessing. It's a blessing right now. God has turned that around. Terry, my wife, waited for nine months for a job. She came here. She was the only one that really came here with absolutely nothing. Everybody else had a little bit of something. She just had me. Whew. So she waits nine months. If that waiting, that burden of waiting, and it was a burden, it was tearful, it was fearful, it was all kinds of bad stuff. If that nine months hadn't happened, things wouldn't have been put in place for her to get a job beyond what she ever dreamed of getting nine months later. There are some things in your life today that you see as burdens, but just take another look at them. You never know. God can make them into a blessing. Now, here's the third lesson I want you to reflect on. There's a big picture, and you're in it. 
There's a big picture and you're in it. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. When her sons died, Naomi probably thought she would never have a chance to hold a baby in her arms again, at least not one of her own, one of her own family. But she did, and it wasn't just any baby. The narrative said, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, who was the father of King David. You know that guy? The one that killed Goliath? The one that wrote, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Naomi played a part in the birth of a king. Still, that's not all. Generations later, a young woman in the line of King David, a young woman named Mary, gave birth to her son, Jesus. It was God's plan that a Moabite woman be part of the royal bloodline, an ancestor to Jesus, the Messiah. Naomi played a part in making that happen. She persuaded Ruth to go to the threshing, threshing floor at midnight so that the wedding could happen, so that a baby could be born. And that baby would lead the way to the birth of God's son. God has a plan not only for your individual life, but for the lives of all those around you, your children and their spouses, your grandchildren and their future spouses, and all of their children too. God has a plan for them, and you have a part to play. You may not be able to see it. You may not fully understand it. You may not be able to anticipate it, but God has a plan. There's a big picture. And when you live in surrender to God, he's able to get you into that picture. That's why I say you have a future. The story of Ruth is a story of redemption. It shows us how through God, the lives of two seemingly insignificant poor widowed women came from tragedy to triumph, from bitterness to blessings. You would think these women whose lives would be, their lives would just be lived in obscurity. Really, think about it. Yet God made their names great throughout history. That's the power of God's redemption. As we close this series, I want to remind you that the experiences Naomi had in chapter 4 happened because of the decision she made in chapter 1. When she was at her lowest, she got on the road that would take her back to Bethlehem. That's where she knew she should be. You can experience God's redemptive power. He, too, can turn your life around. He's more than able, way more than able. He's waiting for you to take the first steps in his direction on the road that leads you where you know you're supposed to be. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for for your word. Your word is life. 
And God, there's only so much we can comprehend, but you give us a gigantic amount of hope in this story. I pray that we could at least grab a glimpse of it, grab a portion of it, and live in faith because of you. Lord, I pray that you would help us who are uh, maybe feeling without right now, that you'd help us to know that that's not going to be forever, especially when we get to heaven. We will not be without. We will be with everything. We will be with you. So we thank you for your awesome, awesome word that gives us encouragement. So help us now, Lord, to take our steps toward Bethlehem, toward you. And we pray that believing in Jesus' name. Amen.